0: Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 13. We'll be looking this morning at verses 10 through 21. We continue in our series through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke 13, 10 through 21. Our title of this morning's sermon is Kingdom Priorities. And our key words are Kingdom Mustard and Leaven. Now, one of my favorite things to hear is when people tell me about the amazing benefits that all of the means that God has provided in their lives have had. And they tell me things like this. I was was reading in the scriptures and I was struck by a particular passage. And here's how it worked on me. Or... I have I've been praying for years that the Lord would would do this thing and he has done it. I give him praise for his provision and for answered prayer. Even just this past week, getting to hear things like the word that was preached, it brought me under conviction. It led me to repentance. It restored my hope in our savior. I love to see and experience new believers when they are baptized and the great satisfaction that lifts the hearts of God's people in that great ordinance. I love when we experience the communion we share with Christ and with one another when we participate in the Lord's Supper together. But more than all of these things individually, I think it's safe to say that I love when all of these elements come together in the same place at the same time. More than any other day of the week, I absolutely love the Lord's Day. I'm not exaggerating when I say that tonight, when I'm tucking my girls into bed, I will be looking forward to next Sunday. Brothers and sisters, embedded into the moral law of God is one of the single greatest blessings for all of mankind. In his grace, God has commanded of us the very thing that restores and refreshes and nourishes and changes and transforms us. More than anything else, the Lord's Day is a blessing from God. And it gives us a a small, just a small foretaste of what heaven will be. Heaven will be an eternal Sabbath where the power of God is fully known. The weight of His glory is clearly evident. Our communion with Him completely unhindered. Our rest will be satisfying. It will be completely void of any painful toil. The unity that we share with one another will be perfect and unbroken. But while we wait with great hope, with great expectation for that eternal promise, is it not so kind of God, so gracious of God, to call us to the enjoyment of such blessings each and every week. What we're going to see in our text this morning is a woman who, regardless of her circumstances in life, saw the priority of the worship of God in her life. And as a result, she experienced what God's people experience when we gather together on the Lord's day. She experienced the power, the mercy, the compassion, the love of Jesus Christ. In other words, she did, she was doing what she always did. And as a result of doing that, she received a tremendous and powerful blessing from the Lord. So let's read together, beginning in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hand on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now in the Gospel of Luke, this is the last recorded instance of Jesus teaching in a synagogue. The first instance we saw was in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. And this is a a fitting reminder of Jesus' own words as to what he was seeking to do, what he was establishing when he was inaugurating his kingdom. If you recall in Luke 4, Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah when he was preaching. He said this, "'The Spirit of the Lord is upon me "'because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. "'He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives "'and recovering of sight to the blind, "'to set at liberty those who are oppressed.'" To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And of course, we know this proclamation was followed by incredible displays of Jesus' divine power, miracles of, of healing, exorcism of demons, a great show of power over nature. And the gifting of his power to the disciples for them also to do wondrous things. And now we see a sort of bookend to the synagogue teachings in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus sets a poor woman free from her disability, providing yet another reminder of the truth of who he said he was doing exactly what he said he was going to do. We see here in verse 11, this woman was most likely of little significance to her community. But all evidences point to the fact that she was no stranger to the gathering of God's people on the Sabbath day. She was given no special attention. It appears that she was minding her own business. She didn't come up to Jesus. She didn't ask him for his healing. She didn't cry out in pain. She wasn't writhing on the floor possessed by a demon. She was simply present in the synagogue to worship God, to hear teaching from the guest rabbi, and to experience the means of grace with other covenant believers as they gathered together. And for 18 years, we learn in verse 11, she was bent over in a manner that kept her from straightening her back. Her spine had fused together. She was hunched over. And day by day, for 18 years, she walked around with her eyes to the ground, only able to see what was around her by painfully turning her entire body to one side or the other. I think the wording from the New American Standard is very helpful here. There was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. So literally she was was bent all the way over at her waist. 90 degrees bent. The, the ESV rendering here seems to imply that the woman had a disabling spirit, was able, either possessed by this spirit or being constantly attacked by a demon. But the New American Standard is most helpful here in conveying the sense of what Luke is writing. It says the woman 18 years ago had an encounter with a spirit that caused her to be disabled. She was struck by the Spirit, and it caused her to be in her current condition. You see, this woman wasn't possessed. She simply had an encounter 18 years earlier, and as a result, she was bent double. She was hunched over, not just a little bit. She wasn't afflicted with scoliosis, so her spine was arched over. No, she was bent over at the waist. This was no normal disfigurement of the body. This was a very serious condition. But the woman gathered with the people of God. She was a normal participant in Sabbath worship. Nobody really took notice of what she was doing. And yet Jesus took notice of her. Of her above all the others in the room, Jesus took notice of her. We see in verse 12, Jesus saw her and he called her over and in response that poor woman rose to his call and she shuffled forward until her eyes rolled upward and she could barely see him from his feet. And she sees him standing above her and hears the words, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. The way that Luke writes this in the Greek means this is permanent. You are permanently set free from your infirmity. And she heard the words. Likely at first she didn't move. The the woman had been so used to being bent over just simply out of habit. She was so used to being in this position. She remained doubled over but felt the gentle hand of Jesus urging her upward. And as she began to stand. She straightened to her full height, graceful, her head up, seeing all that's around her. And the people gasped. And exclamations came from all corners of the synagogue. And Luke says that instantly, she glorified God in verse 13. She gave glory to God for what he had done and the immediacy of her glorifying God, her praise to God says something of this woman's heart. This wasn't a woman who was far from God. This was a devout woman. This was a believing woman. She loved the Lord and thankfulness naturally erupts from a prayerful God-loving heart. It is the overflow of the heart of one who loves and cherishes God and gives thanks to Him for all that we experience. In that day, no reporter could have written all that praise down because she was not only praising God in words, but with her eyes and her hands and her upright body and her rising soul. She was, in those moments, the most eloquent woman in all the universe. And this healing was a taste of the kingdom power that Christ had been working throughout history. This is the work of Jesus today, isn't it? He sees us in our need And even more significant than the physical healing that Jesus brings, He is aware and brings transformation, instant healing to our deepest inward deformities. We must ask, have you been released from the bondage of your sin that has caused you in life to be doubled over, looking nowhere but to the world? because you have not the capacity to turn your eyes upward to heaven. Have you availed yourself of all of the benefits of Christ, the Savior, who sets us free from our greatest enemy, our greatest foe, who is sin and death? He told us himself he came to proclaim liberty to the captives, And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And if you are not in Christ, you have no liberty. You are in complete and total bondage. You are enslaved to your sin. Jesus came to recover sight for the blind. Do you see with eyes of faith? Do you behold the wondrous and glorious things of God all around you? Do you see that Jesus is the only way of true joy and eternal satisfaction? If not, friend, you are blind and wandering around, bumping into all of the things of the world that you seek to find pleasure in. But in the end, they all come up short because they are not what you thought they were. They were never intended to fill the void you are seeking to fill. Your great need is Jesus Christ. Your great hope is that when you come to him, he will not cast you away. But with open arms, with merciful, tender love, he will give you life. He will lift you from the downward earthly deformity to turn your eyes upward that you might see and behold the glorious God who has set the captives free in Jesus Christ. Do you know this Jesus? I commend Him to you. His call to every man, woman, and child in the world is to repent of your sin and to put your trust in Him today. Matthew Henry writes, crooked souls seek not to Christ, but he calls them to him, lays the hand of his power and grace upon them, speaks a healing word to them by which he looses them from their infirmity, makes the soul straight, reduces it to order, raises it above worldly regards and directs its affections and aims heavenward. Though man cannot make the straight, that straight which God has made crooked, yet the grace of God can make that straight which the sin of man has made crooked. Christian, are you reminded each and every day of the great work of God to heal your deepest inward deformities, to make us alive together with Christ? You know these words, and I hope you reflect on them often. We sing them regularly. Soul, know thy full salvation. Rise or sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee, child of heaven. Canst thou repine? You, child of God, you, brother, sister in Christ, he looked upon us in our evil, wicked ensnarement to sin, and he called to us and he said, you are freed from your great infirmity and he laid his hand upon us and immediately we weren't we weren't just healed oh no we were made new creations in Jesus Christ is it obvious child of god he loves you he cares about you he has given all that he can give for you what grace What mercy, what joy should fill our hearts as we think of all that God has done in healing and changing you and me. Now sadly, there were those in the presence of Jesus when he performed this great work who did not see it for what it was, but rather turned against him yet again. Look at verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. What a stone-cold, unloving heart. This man had not the slightest bit of pity on this poor woman in her suffering plight, he had not the eyes for the beauty of Christ's compassion. He had no soul to rejoice in this woman's rescue from debilitating bondage. He had no ear for the sweet music of her lips in praise to Jesus. No, he was filled. He was filled with self-righteous legalism. He had no love for his neighbor because he had no love for God. He was in every way dead, dead. His words were vile. He thought himself to be a protector of the law of God. However, he was in direct violation of the law of God. He didn't love God. He loved the power that he had. He loved the ability to manipulate people through the distortion of the law. But this synagogue leader was about to be set straight by the words of Jesus. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced, at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now let's consider the situation here. Did Jesus have great compassion on this woman? Oh yes. Did Jesus love this woman? Absolutely. Absolutely. But did Jesus also have another motivation in healing her in the synagogue on the Sabbath day? Without a doubt. Jesus very clearly knew what kind of reaction he would draw because he had drawn the very same reaction before. He was certain of what he would be able to accomplish in defending the right use of God's law against its wicked distortions. In the presence of many witnesses, Jesus turned to give a stern rebuke You hypocrites! Notice the plural. This is the synagogue leader who spoke, but Jesus was not just addressing this one man, he was addressing anyone else who was thinking just like him. And he uses a very common Jewish formula of argumentation and logic here. He works from the least to the greatest. He uses Jewish religious law, and he highlights the great importance of what he has done for this woman. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your your donkey from the manger and lead it away that it will be watered? And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, we do. It's good for us to be reminded of the fourth commandment here. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Did you hear it in the law of God? God's concern on the Sabbath was not just for mankind. And it is not just for his covenant people. It was for all of mankind. And it was for even all of their livestock. The livestock that were kept in the stable were loosed several times throughout the Sabbath day and led away to receive water. Why? Why? because it would be a wicked and a barbarous thing not to do it. We see very clearly that God has concern for the proper care of the animals, even providing for their rest. So surely, like man, they will not be left without food or drink. The Proverbs tell us that a merciful man regards the life of his beast, his own beast that serves him. And to deprive the livestock of water would be no rest to them at all. It would be torturous. It would be hateful. They'd be better off working. And so Jesus takes not only what God has said, but also appeals to the numerous provisions in the Jewish Mishnah, which is the recording of all of their additional laws. And he appeals to common sense. He appeals to compassion. And he says, are you so hateful? Are you so ignorant to think as that it's it's okay to take your, your dumb animal to drink water on the Sabbath day, but think it wrong to bring healing to someone with a crippling infirmity? You hypocrites. He tells him in verse 16, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? And the truth of Jesus' logic is absolutely undeniable. The answer to his question is obvious. This was a daughter of Abraham, a covenant member of God's family should she not receive the full benefits of God's love? Furthermore, it could be asked, what better time, what better time for this woman to be healed than when gathering with God's people to receive from Him what comes with great power and transforming transforming grace. You see, not only was it appropriate for Jesus to show great mercy on the Sabbath day, it was the best possible time for it to happen. She was there to meet with God. She met with God in a huge way. And in verse 17, we see the results. The Proverbs tell us that the mouths of fools pour out folly. But Jesus closed. He shut the mouth of the fool. He silenced his adversaries. And Luke tells us they were put to shame. If we're in Christ, we've all had experiences with God like this, haven't we? Wise in our own eyes. Assuming we have all the answers to all the problems of the world. And how everything is and should be. And then instantly we encounter God. Like Isaiah, our mouths are stopped and we recognize that we have spoken with unclean lips. Remember Job's interchange with God? The Lord asked Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. It's a humbling thing. And yet for the child of God, a necessary and satisfying thing to be reminded that God is God and we are not The Apostle Paul reminds us as well when he writes, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Jesus spoke to his adversaries with all the wisdom of heaven. And it stops them dead in their tracks. Their mouths were shut. And all the other people rejoiced at what great and glorious things they had seen. As Jesus had compassion and showed the mercy of God. Before we press on, I want us to reflect on what this means for us as men and women today, as husbands and wives, as brothers and sisters, as friends and neighbors. There's a significant rebuke here for us in how we ought to learn, how we ought to learn to look at each other through the lens of God's Word. Here's what I mean. This woman in the synagogue has been bent over for 18 years. Imagine what that was like. It's horrible. That's what that's like. People stare. In her day, people would have quickly assumed, like we looked at last week, that she, would have, she had that debilitating condition because of some grievous sin in her life. Maybe, maybe there were, were kids around that would laugh at her and make jokes. She was not able to look at anyone in the eye. People don't know how to make conversation. It's awkward. She probably felt like she was an embarrassment to everyone that she was with. So what do you see when you look at this woman? If you were her husband, men, what would you see? What do you see when you look at this woman in her infirmity? more applicable to each of us, what do you see when you look at your wife in all of her infirmities? And the answer to that, of course, depends on the lens you're using. If you're looking through the lens of God's word, if you look to your wife who has been redeemed by the power of God, you will see a daughter of Abraham. If we learn to see Christian women as our sisters the way Jesus saw this woman in the synagogue, we will see them as heirs to the king of glory. And that will have a deep effect on our relationships with one another. And of course, this cuts both ways. Women are just as likely to be disappointed with men as men are to be disappointed with women. Wives, how are you looking at your husbands and all of their weaknesses and all of their failures and all of their infirmities? Are you looking through the lens of God's word? He is a son of Abraham as a believer in Christ. He will one day shine like the sun in the kingdom of his father with all of his imperfections changed in the twinkling of an eye. Every sin will be gone forever and he will receive a body like Christ's glorious body. I think we will in the age to come be dumbfounded as we look back at how poorly we treated one another on the way to glory there's an honor and a respect and even reverence that should be shown to one another as men and women within the household of faith especially how much happier how much more joyful would our homes be how much more unity and love and joy would there be in this church if our lives were filled with expressions of this kind of honor. And they will be filled with these expressions to the degree that we learn to look to one another through the lens of God's Word. As daughters and sons of Abraham, as heirs of all God's promises, destined together for unspeakable glory. I long for all of us to see one another even more with eyes like Jesus, with a marvelous desire to see one another growing in communion with the Lord and communion with one another. What a marvelous future that will be for us. I also want to highlight something very important here in this passage It's a very important element of what we see in this woman whom Jesus healed. And it's what I brought up at the very beginning. Why was this woman healed? I don't mean why did Jesus do it, but I mean why was she able to be healed on that day? Well, it should be obvious because she was in the place where the power of God would be made manifest in Jesus Christ. She was honoring the Sabbath day and receiving the means of grace that come through the enjoyment and satisfaction of what God had provided. Sickness for this woman was no excuse for her to be absent from the gathering of God's people. I would assume you could have looked around that synagogue and if you chose one person who could have had a good excuse to not be there that day, it would have been this woman. But in spite of debilitating suffering and humiliation, her priority was the kingdom of God and the honoring of God's day. She wanted to be where God's word was honored and where the people of God met together. And in doing so, she found a very rich reward for all of her pains. She came in the door that morning in sorrow, but she went home greatly rejoicing. For many, perhaps the example of this woman may serve to lift your hand to your mouth and to silence you. There are many strong and healthy professing Christians that lack of commitment to the Lord's day in the way that this woman has shown. So many Christians in our day of endless entertainment with bodies full of health, with bodies full of life, allow the most frivolous excuses to keep them from honorable observance of the Lord's day. Do you spend the day, the whole day, that God has made for us to enjoy in Him instead of spending it in idleness and entertainment and recreation and business. Perhaps you're wearied by your attendance at church on the Lord's Day. Maybe you're hoping to rush through it all so that you can run off to your next event, to do your next item on your to-do list, your, to get to your most enjoyable expectation that's in line. Or do you say with the words of David, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we should look forward to, we should delight in the Lord's day each week. Not just when we gather for worship in the morning, but the whole day through. Do you spend your day reflecting on the word of God given to you for your benefit on the Lord's day? Do you spend time considering the great things the Lord has done in redeeming you, in creating all things for your benefit and enjoyment? Do you consider the great work of God in our midst right now as we speak? The Holy Spirit in each and every one of us, doing His work through the Word of God as it's proclaimed. I've, I've gotten to hear from many of you who, in your families, you've sought to be more intentional about your observance of the Lord's Day each week. And I am overjoyed that together we are beginning to call the Sabbath a delight. But I know, too, that there are many who have yet to call the Sabbath a delight, and instead use the remainder of the day to tend to their own wants and desires and recreations and entertainments. And in our own wisdom, we seek to define how we would like to spend the Lord's day. And yet, let us not forget that the man who can find no pleasure in giving God one day every week in worship, in fellowship, in reflection, in rest, and in deeds of mercy toward our neighbor... It's very odd if we cannot enjoy those things that we might enjoy in eternity in the service of God in the world to come. J.C. Ryle says of this related to our passage this morning, Happy are they who walk in the steps of her of whom we read today. They shall find Christ and a blessing while they live, and Christ and glory when they die. You remember, Jesus teaches us that the Lord's day is for man. It is for our good. And on it, we will, with rightly oriented hearts, with rightly oriented intentions, receive power from on high and be blessed beyond measure. The question then really is, why would we neglect such a gift? Brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you to recognize that what God calls us to in the Lord's day is for our good. It is for our benefit. It's for our true spiritual enjoyment and nourishment. And so the question is, can we, like this woman, be more intentional about the Lord's day? Our gathering with the people of God for worship, yes. But what about the remainder of the time? For fellowship. For focusing our attention heavenward. To set aside all of our earthly cares and endeavors. You know, so often our conversations revolve around the disappointments of work and life. The difficulties of working through all of the chores that we labor in day in and day out. And yet, until you look to the Lord's day and see it for what it is, you do not truly understand the joy that comes in setting all of those things aside. Every single week, to come to this time to rest, to enjoy the Lord. And not only do you not have to, but by the command of God, should set all of those things aside and enjoy Him and Him alone. And when we seek to call the Sabbath a delight, you will not be disappointed, I assure you. You know, all of us, when we, when we are preparing for vacations, we look forward to them with great anticipation. Why? Why? Because it's a time we get away from all of our earthly cares and we, we rest, we enjoy the time. Brothers and sisters, our experience in the Lord's day has been that as we look forward to it and as we prepare for it and as we put all of the effort into the other six days to get ready to rest and to enjoy and to reflect on God and His Word on the Lord's day, that every week is a looking forward to that respite. Day by day by day, we toil with great sweat upon our brow, but we come to the day that the Lord has said, this day is for me, rest my child, enjoy who I am for you. You see, many people assume that observing the Lord's day is akin to the way it was understood by the synagogue leader in our passage today. Legalistic. And at all costs adherence to whatever rules we personally seek to impose. But that's not what God has designed. That is not what God has intended. You see, Jesus here doesn't condemn the people's observance of the Sabbath, nor anywhere in the Bible is anything said about the Lord doing away with his day. No, you see, Jesus is simply correcting misconceptions about what should be done on the Lord's day, and rightly so. It truly is a delight that we will only know when we ourselves partake of this blessing in full. And I pray and hope that we will do that together. Let's look at the last part of our passage, beginning in verse 18. He said, therefore... What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So Jesus uses this occasion to help the people rightly understand the kingdom of God that was inaugurated in their presence and was going to grow with dynamic, world-changing power. He begins with this parable of the mustard seed. This tiny mustard seed, so small it's, it's nearly invisible to the eye. And yet this tiny seed produces a veritable tree capable of housing many birds. Likewise, the kingdom, which began so insignificantly, has grown immensely so that it has a, a huge effect on the world. It will continue to do so until Christ returns. It is day by day taking over all the corners of the earth. The kingdom will reach all nations. Likewise, the yeast or, or the leaven works silently and unseen from the inside. But its effect is on everything. It wields incredible, transforming power. And we see from these parables that the kingdom of God will go out to all of the nations. Its effect will be vast. It will be profound. And this, the crippled woman stretching out to her full height, standing tall, giving praise to God, this is what the kingdom does. It works individually, a life here, a life there, transformed men and women creating lovers of God who live according to the word of God, using all of the means that God has provided to display the true priority of the kingdom of God in the life of the church of God. Kingdom power is immense because gospel yeast truly transforms lives. And transformed lives preserve society. You see, the people of Jesus' day expected the Messiah to come with great physical and political power. Triumphant in battle, pushing back all of the power of the Roman occupying force. But Jesus defied all of their expectations. He came as a babe in the womb of a teenage virgin. He came not to acknowledge those who were wise in their own eyes, but to bring life and compassion to those who were poor and downtrodden and broken. He worked in small and seemingly insignificant ways, healing and setting free old women and their debilitating conditions. But what he did was change the course of the world. All leading to the final consummation of the glorious kingdom that will come all at once in the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. And this is the power of the kingdom of God. Jesus sees us as we are. Hunched over with our eyes to the world. And he has the power to say... You are set free. Let us not doubt that this mighty miracle of God to heal this poor woman was intended to supply hope and comfort to the sin-diseased souls of the world. Christ can soften, soften hearts that are as hard as granite. He can bend stubborn wills which have for 18 years been set on self-pleasing, on sin, on the world... For some hearts that have been set on self-pleasure for 30 years, for 50 years, God can straighten our will. He can enable sinners who've been long pouring over earthly things to bring them to lift their eyes to the heavens and to see the kingdom of God which may seem so small It may seem so insignificant. But instead it is full of power. It is full of grace. It is full of glory. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. He can create. He can transform. He can renew. He can break down. He can build. He can quicken. And He can do it all with irresistible power. And He never changes. Brothers and sisters, hold on to this great truth and never let it go. May it be that we, as God's people, never despair about our own salvation. Our sins may be countless, and indeed they are. Our lives may have been long spent in worldliness and folly. Our youth may have been wasted in soul-defiling excesses of what we, of which we are sorely ashamed. But are we willing to come to Christ and commit our souls to him fully, completely? If so, there's hope. He can heal us thoroughly. He can look to all of our sins and say, you are free. Let us never despair of our salvation so long as we are alive. So long as there is breath in our lungs, we have opportunity to give praise to God and to live for his glory. And if he were to lay his healing hand on those that we know, that seem so desperate in their wickedness, but if God were to lay his hand upon them, in Jesus Christ he can save to the uttermost. Perhaps you have relatives, you have friends, you have neighbors. So far from God. Seemingly helpless. Let us name them before the Lord night and day and cry out to him on their behalf. Let us pray and not grow weary. And as we gather with the priority of the kingdom in our hearts together seeing it worked out in our lives day by day, let us rejoice together in the bondage-breaking, soul-restoring work of Christ in the hearts of needy, broken people like us. And today, on the Lord's Day, let us reflect on that great work of God for us, His children, and for all those in the world who He has yet to call into His fold and make new creations with us. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in the great work that you have done in sending Jesus Christ, your Son, to transform our hearts, to make us new creations in Christ, and to set us free to live in obedience to your Word with thankful, joyful hearts. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice in your great work to straighten our crippled wills. All of us, Lord, at one time, some of us still, but all of us at one time wandered about the earth with our eyes looking only to the world. Only to what the world has. And yet by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are pleased to lift our eyes heavenward that we may see and behold the great work that is done by your hand in creating us, in redeeming us, in restoring us, and now in sanctifying us. And Lord, in our growth, in our sanctification, in our purposed pursuit of communion with you i pray god that you would help us to make a greater priority of the means that you have provided in the lord's day lord may we enjoy and call the sabbath a delight may it be that we use the day to worship together to have fellowship with brothers and sisters To think upon your word, to think upon the things that you have laid out for us, to consider our own hearts, to consider our ways, and to consider what you want us to be in Jesus Christ. To, with thankful hearts, turn to you and rejoice. Father, I pray that you would grow us through those means. That we would enjoy those means with greater fervency. And that we would delight in what you have given us for our good, for our benefit, and for your glory. And Father, I pray that you help all of us to look to one another through the lens of your word. To not look to one another and simply see the ways that we are broken. But rather that we would look to one another and to see trophies of your grace. People who have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. And yet people who just like us are in the process of restoration until that great day of glorification. Father, we pray that you give us eyes of faith, hearts of patience and endurance and perseverance with one another. Increase our love, increase our compassion for one another, and may it be to your glory and for our great joy.